0: Welcome to The Amazing Apps Show, for Microsoft business applications creators who want to make amazing, agile, Dynamics 365, and power platform applications that everyone will love. Hi, I'm Neil Benson from Customary, and you're listening to The Amazing Applications Podcast where we help you build amazing Agile Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications. I've got another amazing interview by Danny Cahill for you in this episode. It's number 116. This time, Danny is chatting with Andrew Bibby. Danny has been a guest a couple of times on the show, and he was the host on episodes 109 and 112. He's an independent consultant and an online trainer, specializing in requirements analysis and solution envisioning. Andrew Bibby is one of the founders of Proximo 3, a Microsoft partner based in the UK, and they are both Microsoft MVPs for business applications. Today, you'll get to hear them discussing a pivotal project in Andrew's career in which he shares his advice on the approach, on managing requirements, coordinating multiple teams, and how to ensure the successful adoption of your new business application. You'll find show notes with a transcript and links to Andrew and Danny's resources at amazingapps.show slash 116. Just before we get started, I'd like to congratulate several customary academy students who recently completed my Scrum for Microsoft Business Applications course and achieved their professional Scrum Master certification with Scrum.org. They're Max Zarkov from Empired. And then from IBM were Jared Reynolds, Abe Potten and Anna Pinar. Congratulations, and thanks for being part of the Customer Academy.
1: All right, good morning, good evening. How are you, Andrew? I'm good. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for making the time. I know we are in different time zones, so it's a little bit challenging sometimes to find the right time to discuss things, but thank you for making the time. Andrew, before we get started, would you mind giving a quick intro about yourself to our audience?
2: Sure. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. So uh, my name is Andrew Bibby. I'm a founder of a company in the UK. And we founded a, a new company last year, Proximo 3, with some other Microsoft MVPs in the business application space. I've been working with Dynamics 365 and Power Platform for 15 years. It's just gone 15 years. And that's all I do. And all the projects that I've worked on have been uh, about that. So being through Lots of different scenarios and learn a lot along the way as well. And actually that helps me uh, and helps us in Proximo deliver the services that we deliver today, which is more around advisory work on projects and bringing all that experience to projects where they don't necessarily have a lot of experienced people on on the project. So that's where we come in. Wow, amazing. So you started a year ago, you said? proximo what 3 signals? yeah yeah it's uh, we started in february we've just done our first yeah. year anniversary oh yeah that's, that's good it's going really well it's been different because i was an independent consultant before that yeah. we were all independent and we've come together and it's been a learning curve i'm not going to lie around things like you know doing sales pre-sales and yeah. things that i haven't necessarily got got into before so it's not just about doing the job anymore it's about actually running a business as well but it's been very interesting and varied and i'm never doing the same thing every day you know each day is something different Uh, more different projects or different roles or training or like i say pre-sales or project work so yeah i'm loving it actually
1: wow amazing i've seen a lot of you know posts and kind of events that you guys are running. So looks very interesting. Well done. Oh, thank you. So, Andrew, you're here to discuss uh, one of your projects that you had in the past. So effectively, the format that I would like to explore a bit with you is, you know, pick a, a project that you had in the past that where you have actually learned a lot from it mm-hmm. and kind of go in a little bit more into the details of that project, right? So we'll have a conversation about, you know, how the project went. And then drill down to the challenges
2: and the lessons learned from that project, right? So what kind of project did you pick for us today? So I'm going to go for one of the biggest projects I've worked on. And I actually worked on that project for three years. Oh, wow. Uh, Maybe a bit more, actually. But it was a big multi-phase, multi-workstream project, business transformation project for a financial services company in the UK. And it probably, the reason I chose it is because I generally work on smaller projects, mm. enterprise projects, but generally smaller. But this was one of the most fun projects I worked on, to be honest, even though it was yep. very difficult as well. I had lots of challenges, but I worked with some of the best people I've worked with in my career and I learned a lot from them. And yeah, it's kind of one of those really formative projects to work on, you know, I learned a lot but, uh, across different areas and also you know i was i was able to fulfill my role as well and i thought i did Mm. a good job of of that too so yeah it was very rewarding from that perspective so what role did you play on that project andrew so i was i was working with the end client as an advisor yeah because they'd not done a dynamics 365 project before or worked with our platform and they had they had to go through a partner selection process. They they just felt out of their depth, you know, uncomfortable with with the information that they needed to know. And so they brought me in because I'd been working with partners for the previous 10 years or so. And yeah, it was the first project I'd done actually on the customer side. I'd been working with partners previously. And so that was an interesting switch. They had an implementation partner. They They had two actually. I'm trying to think maybe it was three. But yep. yeah, so you know how these big projects go sometimes. And yeah, I was I was basically in between the customer and the partner to try and grease the wheels. Uh, try and make the, the customer aware of what the partner needed. And you know, the the in particular we'll come on to, you know, talking about requirements and you know the information that the partner needed. But also vice versa, what the customer should expect from a partner and also to be a quality assurance that actually they were getting a good good service from that partner as well so yeah it came at the right time in my career where i, I had enough experience of, of a few different areas where i could fulfill that role but yeah not without its challenges but it also yeah like i say, very rewarding too already the the the
1: structure of the team like three two or three partners already and you in the middle i can see already. <clears throat> You know, the challenges coming coming with such a role. Can you also
2: advise? So when did you join at which part of the project did you join the beginning? Yeah, luckily I was yep. um it's a good question because sometimes you get brought into a project halfway through mm-hmm. and it's kind of yeah. difficult, you know, to to have a, a good impact. So yeah, I actually started the they were very the people at the end customer were very aware that they needed help early on. And mm-hmm. I came in just after they'd started a proof of concept phase because this was going to be a big project, multi-million yep. pound project. And so what they wanted to do is at the start is run a six-week proof of concept. Yeah bring a team together to prove the technology the ways of working they'd not done an agile project before we'll come and talk about project methodology but and so there was lots of things that they wanted to see if they could work in a certain way and whether the technology whether dynamics was suitable suitable platform whether they could custom in the way that they needed whether they could work quickly you know all these things were very new to them so they ran a six-week pilot proof of concept and i came in at about week two i think yeah so we we went through that it was very successful we yeah. had a very close-knit team even though it was probably 20 people and yeah we went through the process and that was the also the the next phase for the project to actually get the go ahead yes we can work this way and also this is kind of budgets that we're looking at and it mm-hmm. helped the partner estimate the work that was involved and and also for the the end customer as well for them to understand the work involved so mm-hmm. yeah i came in at that point and then i worked all the way through proof of concept and then into the different phases of the project all the way through go live actually which didn't happen it was about two years two and a half years so nice big project. And yeah, and then I did some work afterwards with the customer to help upskill their teams internally so that they could maintain the project after the partner had, you know, gone off into the sunset. So yeah, it was the whole, all the way through Yeah, every, every stage,
1: which was great. Yeah, that's great, actually. I found the most rewarding project I had in my career were the ones where indeed I could step in at the right time and kind of mm. go through the whole project and almost you know, also deliver the project and kind of transition it. So in terms of technologies and and applications, can
2: you give us a quick tour mm, of what sure. it about? So they were introducing the end customer wanted to replace an existing system that they mm-hmm. had for managing customers and also managing their sales pipeline. So mm-hmm. very typical kind of CRM project. And they also had a number of on-premise systems for things like policy administration and quoting and so financial services lots of legacy systems involved and so yeah dynamics 365 sales was the platform of choice and also customer service was in there as well and customized that to build out a fairly extensive data model ended Mm -hmm. up being something like 100 custom tables and to support their sales process so to take a step back, what they were trying to achieve was was to they did some analysis of their sales process and they realized the people, the advisors that worked for the company, worked in different ways and there was a lot of administration involved and a lot of generating documents and and they calculated that the average time to take a customer, one of their customers, from initial discussions through to selling a product mm-hmm. was about 13 hours, 12 or 13 hours. And what they wanted to do is obviously reduce that time spent because they they realized that a lot of that time was spent on administration and, Mm -hmm. you know, like I say, creating quotes and documents and things like that. And if they could reduce that and automate some of that, then obviously better customer experience and also more time for these highly skilled individuals to talk to customers. You know, so... A real benefit there for both the customers and for the the business because they could see more people and therefore sell more products, you know. So it's quite an easy justification for the project. They were aiming for basically halving the amount of time taken to get one of their customers from the initial discussion all the way through to selling a product. Higher profit, more people to see everything else, you know. So, yeah, Dynamics 365 in the cloud I mean, which all of the projects I've worked on in the last five or six years have been in the cloud, but um, with integration to on-premise systems Mm -hmm. and so a fair amount of integration involved and um, all of that legacy estate and also some infrastructure built out in Azure as well, Azure functions and, and logic apps and also data storage in Azure as well. I guess fairly typical for a larger size project Mm -hmm. these days, you know, there's Dynamics or there's Dataverse and there's some power platform components and then there's some Azure stuff and there's probably Mm -hmm. some on-premise stuff in there as well. So, you know, the solution architecture was not atypical. Thank you.
1: Yeah, nice. So you were mentioning Agile at the beginning. So how did that journey go? Was Was it new for them? What yeah, they, or had they experienced in Agile before? Or
2: I think this was quite a learning curve for yeah. the organization and for the yeah. people working on the project as well. So, yeah, they that was like I mentioned, it was part of the original proof of concept: can mm-hmm. they work Agile? Can they make decisions quickly enough as a business to work Agile? And when you're doing a proof of concept, that is fairly ambitious in its scope actually. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff in, in the the POC, but you had some very empowered people on the project that could make decisions and that didn't need to keep referring back to other, you know, more senior people. So they were very they were entrusted to to make the right decisions, which is absolutely what you need. And so proof of concept worked well. When it scaled out to from twenty people, you know, six weeks, eight weeks worth of work. To over a hundred people at some points of the project, and multiple work streams. I think there were six work streams uh, across, like data migration, integration, functional yeah. build, business analysis. You know, lots of different work streams going on, and that didn't scale mm-hmm. in in an agile way. They tried to work. They tried to to run the project like that. And they kept hitting, mainly the issue was that the business couldn't make decisions quickly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as a mindset of the organization, was very used to long projects, but also lots of analysis up front, lots of design up front, but that wasn't flexible enough for how they wanted to work on this yeah. project. So, after some back and forth, and you've probably experienced yourself some attempts to work agile and then it kind of stalls and then you have a reset all right so what are we going to do came up with this approach which was more a mix of waterfall and agile you know how it is Uh, which is kind of trying to take the best bits of agile and also some security from doing lots of design up front and lots of analysis up front to scope the project effectively resource the project but then once you've been through that fairly long-winded process of analysis and design actually running the build and test as agile sprints so yeah this did go back and forth for a while i wouldn't yep. say it was overly successful and actually one of the pieces of advice we had very earlier on which was a little bit benefit of hindsight you know it seemed like yep. you're getting, you know, <laughs> is that if you're choosing a project methodology go waterfall or go agile pick a horse there's benefits and there's pitfalls to each one don't try and do both and that actually is exactly how it turned out doing both yeah. was problematic as well because yeah there was lots of stop start and it it becomes a, a scheduled problem then of getting the right people at the right point. You've got lots of dependencies between work streams and they have to start at the right time and finish at the right time, you know? And, and so project management, I was going to say nightmare, but it was actually just very difficult to manage from a project management point of view. And I think there were three or four project managers on, on the project attempting to do that. And with the best will in the world, even with some mm. very, very good people, it becomes very very difficult so i would say where i have seen the benefits on dynamics and power platform projects is, is to work in an agile way because the tool set helps you do that you can build things quickly there's not a lot of coding and development anymore but you need people that are experienced in working that way that can make decisions quickly that are empowered to make those decisions you need really good requirements and a process to refine those requirements so there's lots of things that you need to put in place in order to be able to work that in that way but when i've worked on projects that really have those things they really hit the hit the road what's the expression hit, they, hit the ground they, hit the ground running That's road hit the ground running and are very productive and they can deliver an application lifecycle management is also part of that Mm -hmm. as well so there's lots of setup work you need to do but if you do all that as i'm sure you've experienced you can be very successful in working that way and so yeah that's my preference of a way of working now yeah yeah, it feels very long-winded but yeah not all organizations are geared up for working that quickly
1: Yeah, and Agile, yeah, it's it's a bit of, as you said, a bit of a learning curve, I think, where I've worked with many companies that try to adapt Agile, but it's still, Agile requires a bit of experience as well. I mean, you know, doing some trainings will help you, but it's really on the ground doing an Agile project that I found, even myself, that I found myself learning the most, right? And after one project done in Agile, then the next one, I kind of understood the concept of it Mm -hmm. way better than... Mm-hmm. after just you know learning theory so i guess that's the challenge for a lot of also organization i guess also product owners um, yeah being a product owner i've seen multiple times it's a first for for a lot of product owners i work mm-hmm. with so they don't really know the best practice
2: they don't really know what works what's not they don't have that experience so yeah yeah completely agree and yeah. actually something that i've learned on working on agile products are probably eight or nine years is that the the scrum master or whoever's leading those teams they need to be good if they don't have experience and they've just done the uh, training course and they're, they're having a go or if they're not proactive enough if they're not confident enough then that has a major impact on the productivity of those teams they're a linchpin so, you know, like you have the product owner and then Scrum Master as being, they're working in tandem, they're, they're driving things forward. If you don't have that, and that happened on this project as well, they went through several different Scrum Masters and yep. a lot of them were not all that experienced. And you could really tell, you know, with the productivity of the teams that uh, you need to kind of all work together as it's everybody's a cog in the machine. And once they're all working together, Mm-hmm. you really can be very productive. But if there's something not quite right, you're grinding the gears together and things start slowing down. So yeah, Scrum Master, I think that's one of the most vital roles on on that that team.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So you're talking about requirements as well. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what was, so how was it done in the process? Yeah. Well, how, how was your collaboration with the business analyst? Who was actually doing requirements gathering and analysis. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, so fairly big project as I as I mm. said so there was a team of business analysts looking at the different work streams and different areas of the business to do to do that analysis. So there was six or seven or eight at different times from the um, client, right? Yeah, from the client, not the partner? No, actually no yeah. partners don't in my experience they don't really do business analysis very well mm-hmm. dynamic mm-hmm. partners anyway. They're very much more focused on like functional Consultants, but yes, yeah. The, the 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 client brought in a team of business analysts, both from the existing business and also contract uh, business analysts, which you know had some ups and downs. I would say, but they used one of the most important things I think about this project, and one of the things that I learned is to have a single tool set for managing the requirements all the way through development, testing, and into production. This was Azure DevOps that they used. And I've really be- sort of grown to love Azure de- DevOps. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the name because it makes it sound like a developer tool. yeah, And just for kind of building stuff, and maybe testing it, but actually does a really good job once it's set up correctly, all the way across the lifecycle. Requirements were managed in user stories in Azure DevOps. And something that they really struggled with was it took a, a, a while to actually learn to use DevOps properly and set it up properly and also have everybody up to the right level of knowledge to to write user stories correctly, the right level of detail, for them to be managed, you know, in a consistent way. But something that really was problematic was traceability of those requirements all the way through development lifecycle. Yeah. And when you use one tool, you have that traceability if you're doing it from the start. So you put your user stories into DevOps and you, you have developer tasks maybe against those user stories. You have test cases against the user stories. You have releases against the user stories. And then you're into production and you can trace the whole thing through. And so you know what you initially wanted to develop and functionality you wanted to build is now in production because otherwise... How can you tell? And and a number of times on the project they ran into this issue of trying to keep track of what's been done and how much there was left to do because they weren't using the tools properly. They weren't using DevOps properly as lots of spreadsheets and then trying to retrospectively connect Development to user stories or testing to user stories. And so that was a real administration headache. And if you're not doing it from the start, it just causes more pain. You know, later on, when you, yep. you actually do need to prove what you've done and how much it's cost and how far through you are and how much there is left to do. So, yeah, that was a really big learn that um, doing it in one tool set, whether it's DevOps or something else, is just pays dividends all the way through the project lifecycle. Not doing it is painful and expensive. So yeah, on bigger projects, absolutely, I'd say you need to use uh, some kind of tooling like that. Any project, but yeah, yeah, on bigger projects.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Azure DevOps as well. So Mm. totally agree with you. I worked a bit on
2: Jira as well for Mm. the clients, Mm. but yeah, most of our clients use DevOps. I've actually worked with Jira recently. I've worked a few mm. times over my, my career, and, but on a project I just finished, they were using Jira for requirements and defect management, basically. Yeah, And it was pretty good. I was quite impressed mm. with how far it's come. So, yeah, I'm not so negative about Jira anymore. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. DevOps just it seems to tick all the boxes. And that's why mm. I, I, I think it is poorly named because it does so much more than just manage code and development tasks and tests, you know, So yeah, big fan.
1: So you were talking about user story. How did you manage to make sure that the dev team understood the user story? Did you use some Mm -hmm. kind of template to run the
2: user stories? Yeah. So I I, remember, I'm not going to claim credit for this, but Mm -hmm. actually there was a, a really good business analyst named Jack. Mm who I'm still friends with, who was responsible for doing a lot of the setup work in Azure DevOps and and making sure that the customizations that needed to be done to sort of track statuses and and there's different sort of custom fields that we needed. he did all that setup. And that as part of that, we had fairly customized work item templates to make sure we were capturing everything correctly. But I would say that I've worked on another big project, actually straight after this, where they really suffered was there was a, a disconnect between the detail in the user stories and what the developers needed. It wasn't so bad on on the project that, I'm mainly talking about because the the developers were all together, one big team. We sat together, we had lunch together, you know, we spent every day of the week together, which is, you know, the luxury of, of having an entire floor dedicated to this project in, in a building. I'd say that's more difficult maybe these days with virtual working, yeah. hybrid working, and that's something that I've seen with other projects. But absolutely, it's fundamental that the developers or the functional consultants understand everything they need to from that user story to go and build it and where i've seen that cause problems is you know the customer who's maybe not very experienced in writing user stories or their business analyst not very experienced in in working that way and they also don't know what the developers need in terms of the level of detail for them to write a bunch of user stories that look okay from a business perspective because they are user stories but then get passed on to the development team. development team kind of has a go at building what they think the person meant when they wrote the story. And then when you're in Sprint, there's lots of turnover of, oh, that's not quite right. That's not what I meant. I missed that from the user story and, and development and requirements changing in Sprint, which is terrible yeah. for productivity. That's exactly the experience that I had was that Sprints would just not achieve anything like The productivity and the story points that they were projected because there was so much requirements churn during the sprint. You need to get all that stuff done before sprint. And there's, there's a number of issues there. Having that understanding like an acceptance process where a lead developer or a lead functional consultant is reviewing the stories before they go into the sprint to really poke around the edges. Because they know what they need. And for them to accept those stories into the sprint and say, yeah, these are ready to go for us. And that really cuts down the amount of questions. You can't avoid it completely, but the number of questions and the changes to requirements, which is another productivity killer. You know, changing requirements mid sprint. Don't do it. <laughs> just stop doing that. But that requires education on on the customer's part for them to understand the level of detail that they need. And also... yeah from the development team or the functional team for them to know to ask and for them to have this process of accepting stories and saying yes they are ready for us to work on because they've got all of these different things worked out. There was quite a big learning curve and actually I I learned more on this, on this financial services project around that and around the importance of the quality of your requirements. And I've actually Mm. That has carried forward for me on every project I've worked on since. If you don't have enough information in the requirements, you're going to trip up in development, testing, and all the way into production because things will be delivered into production that are not what you need because the requirement wasn't correct in the first place. And particularly around testing, a tester can only base their testing on the user story. Right, you know, in an ideal world, they would have other people to talk to, but unless it's written down in a user story, how does a tester know what they need to test? And so, yeah, there's another another focus area. If it's not described in the user story in the requirement, the tester's not going to test it. It's going to go into production with holes, with functional gaps, you know, quality issues. I really push this when I when I do training on solution architecture course is the importance of getting requirements up to the a good level because if you don't you've just got problems the whole way along as I'm we've yeah. experienced. Yeah. And
1: when you say so requirements up to a good level,
2: do you have tools you use or or key parameters you use Yeah. I think I I mentioned actually I was I was training the um, Power Platform Solution Architect mm. course a couple of weeks ago and There's a really good set of parameters that is in that course. And this is on Microsoft Learn as well. Yeah. I think it's seven different quality sort of characteristics yeah, right. of a user yep. story i'm trying to remember them now but it's things like is the user story unambiguous in its language mm. um does it overlap with other user stories in which case you know that's a bad thing because yeah. there could be conflicts between the story or the functionality that's being built for it for each of those user stories yeah there's I really recommend that people actually look at the Microsoft Learn content for the Solution Architecture exam and also your blog, which is excellent on these sorts of subjects, for some really strong criteria for when you're assessing user stories to say, are they ready? Have they got enough information? And often, this is really important, often customers are not keen to spend the amount of time Mm. required to get the user stories up to that level because they just want to get on with it and get stuff built it's yep. agile and we can change it as we go and you know all of that kind of myth that you, that you get it does require a really serious investment up front and for customers to understand that it's garbage in garbage out yeah it's high Good quality in high quality out and that's what you're aiming for but that's an education process with the customer as well i think that's quite often underestimated
1: yeah. What I, what I used on my project, then it's again a learning experience and the benefit of the project is kind of introducing a definition of, of ready for the user story, right? It doesn't have to be followed for every single story, but it's a couple of, of rules that we use on user stories. Did we have a conversation about the user stories? The user story might be, I want to capture a date for the case because this, that. Even if it seems to be very small, just have a quick chat with your team to make sure right. everyone on the team everyone understands. You know, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having that conversation, acceptance criteria written in specific format. So I like the given. Mm-hmm. The given scenario. So it's a couple of scenarios that you can document in the, in the acceptance criteria, making sure they also, so that we have an idea of the estimates and, and why is to make sure that everyone on the team, like the dev team, the functionals, the BA sit down together and go through the exercise of reviewing the acceptance criteria. Mm. Cause now they need to put a number. So yes. it, it's not really mm-hmm. the number is, it's for planning. Per, um, purposes, of course, but it's mostly to make sure that everyone reads through (laughs) the story and make sure they understand it and come up with a number. And if you have too big of a disparity in numbers, you know you have something that isn't clear, probably. Mm -hmm. So a couple of those, and of course, testing, asking the test team to write test scenario based on the acceptance criteria. If they can't, like you you said, then you're probably missing some.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Perfect. Yeah. So actually on this project we did like you mentioned there on the estimation we did planning poker which mm. is i thought i thought was a very useful exercise where yeah th- to help everybody understand what is what the aim of a user story is to review the acceptance criteria together and if you have those large disparities in estimate mm-hmm. as you say for to talk that through so y- you understand why you have those big differences maybe there's maybe that raises something that other people haven't thought of or maybe it's someone being overly concerned about uh, a piece of work and its complexity so yeah i think that is a very useful exercise again it takes time yeah um, but you've got to invest that but i would also say that estimating is very important from a a customer perspective and also Mm. you know for the partner to plan their work obviously and and for them to put tasks against that estimate that help them plan their sprints as they go forward. So the estimation, that should get better as you go through the project. People get more accurate with yeah. their estimates. Estimating is notoriously difficult and, you know, lots of a variety of, of estimates. But what that helps on the customer side is for them to have an idea of the cost, the budgets that they need, the, the, the monthly spend that they need to anticipate, because that's something that I find with Agile quite a lot is that customers don't like it because they don't know how much it's going to cost. And it's a bit of a myth, but in doing that estimation process, yeah, I, I do think it's useful from a planning perspective, but also for that visibility of cost for a customer as well.
1: Yeah, perfect. So we discussed a few challenges that you had during this project. Any other challenges that
2: were kind of... The sort of leap out is that, like I said, I work with some of the best people I've worked with in my career on that project mm-hmm. from a perspective of, of them being very experienced, very intelligent, very proactive, coming up with innovative solutions, really a great team of people. However, it was still a problem project, you know. A lot of it was to do with project management. Not that I'm blaming the project managers because it was a very complex project. But yeah. an area that was a particular problem was the, the work streams that were happening. And they had different backlogs that they were working through. So there was a data migration work stream, yeah. an integration a data model work stream, functional build. And all of each of those teams could work independently. The problems came when they weren't talking to each other enough and the problems got bigger as the project went on. For example, changes were made to the data model to satisfy a user stories or functional requirement, but those weren't passed on to the data migration team. And so they didn't know that they had these other fields that they needed to find values for or vice versa integration the interfaces weren't very well defined and but once they were defined okay what does that impact on the user experience and also the data migration as well and all these things kept coming up over and over again but it was a lot to do with the teams not communicating effectively about the changes that were happening and with the best will in the world you can say you have to talk to each other and they'll go yeah. yes we will and then they don't, and they forget, and these little things that get missed that that add up to bigger problems. The same goes for for the business, right? Because on a big project, requirements will change as you go through the project, and yeah. you can ask the business people if you're changing a process. Please come and tell us, because that may impact the the project that we're working on. And they'll go, "Yes, we definitely will." Mm-hmm. And then everyone will forget about that, <laughs> and they'll find out when you deliver something. Oh, that's not right, because we changed that process six months ago, You know, which is the problem with with doing lots of design up front. But yeah, I think the role of a solution architect on a project like that is to sit across those work streams and have the overall visibility across the work streams. And I think that may be an area that was just too difficult to do, or there just weren't the lines of communication there and the experience there maybe with those architects. So yeah, tricky one, but I would say that came up to bite people over and over again. That communication yeah. issue, but yeah, uh, definitely a learn for me on future projects that um, yeah you need to have this these sorts of processes in place. Even if it feels quite heavy weight to have yeah. people meeting every day or through you know, a few times a week to just talk about what's happening across the work streams. It's it's a difficult challenge, I think, to try and get the balance right of communication.
1: Yeah. So the lesson learned from this one would be, if I understand correctly, having those processes for people to kind of exchange the information, Mm. having an architect sitting in between, you were saying as well?
2: Yeah, I think depending on the size of your project, a solution Mm. architect across the whole project is great but it could be that the project is too big. Yeah. In which case, you know, a number of architects sitting, sitting across separate work streams that also roll up to an overall architect, yeah, is useful. Another difficulty is trying to document changes. You can use DevOps, for example, to, say, document a data model change. And then you can yeah. use maybe, I don't know, tagging things like that mm. to try and notify other work streams what's going on and where they should pick it up but you know this is where the tools kind of and i've not found a great way of, of working with the the tool set to enable that kind of communication and you really can't beat just sitting down with people and drawing things on a board to get your your, your points so yeah i'd be <laughs> happy to learn how you can do that better but trying to track changes that impact other work streams is is very difficult i think yeah yeah
1: i totally agree totally agree with you the bigger the team the more the more complexity it is right the more interaction Mm -hmm. are needed between people and then all those interactions are complex
2: it becomes very time consuming as well and there's lots of information you need to be putting into DevOps or into something just in case you need it you know and it becomes a, a real overhead on the project that is normally not well understood
1: yeah totally agree all right we cover a few challenges I want to make Mm. sure that we before we we wrap up that we cover a few of the what
2: went the project itself was over budget and over time and one of the big issues I think for that project being seen as successful is that They went live when the project wasn't ready. With hindsight, it wasn't ready. And that was a lot to do with budget and the financial penalty of not going live, you know, because things get put on hold because they're waiting for this new system or waiting for this new solution. Users not being ready, change management side was there was an aspect of change management on the project where training and planning for impacted users was done to an extent but it was nowhere near enough with hindsight again what went well i would say that like i I mentioned the the best bunch of people i've worked with but also one of the best teams i've worked with and the people that were leading those teams and overall leading the project did a really good job of getting people to work together and overcome problems even on a difficult project i have come out of that project with friends for life because We got to know each other and and got to know our strengths and weaknesses and when you could lean on somebody and when you could ask for help. And I think the people side of of a project is very much underestimated and having people that have probably been thrown to, you know, even from the partner side. Those people have probably never worked together. There's yeah. The likelihood of that, particularly with bigger partners, and lots of people on the customer side who've been drawn from different areas of the business that again probably hadn't worked together, and to have those people gel in a in a team that could work and be productive together, that opened my eyes as to how important that was, and that sort of that's again something that I try and bring into projects as I as I go along now is that the importance of Building relationships and knowing who to ask for help, when to ask for help. Uh, yeah, I think it's not so much the technology that is so important mm. to me these days because, you know, you can get pretty much anybody to build things. It's, it's yeah, it's more of the people side people side of change as they call it which is much more interesting to me and also i think much more important than than the technology it's it's understanding how you impact people with what you do on a project but also getting people on the project to work together effectively in this i am always learning on that side that's not something yeah. that comes naturally to me i don't think uh, and i learned a lot from from the project about how how you can do that Amazing, because you are also, I know,
1: your your interest in change management mm. and your expertise in that area. Yeah, yeah. Did you uh, manage to, so how was it done on that project? Did you manage to
2: learn something to help them? This is actually, I worked on that project just as, as I was getting more interested in change mm. management because I'd worked with partners, like I say, for 10 years or so before that. And I worked on a number of different projects that I thought went really well and then, you know, they go live and you go back and visit the customer again and nobody's using the system or it's got all these problems. And I can never really work out why that happened until you start to look at change management, until you start to understand it's, you know, building a project, which is typically what partners are very focused on. They're, They're building stuff and they're testing it and they're putting it into production. What happens before that in terms of getting people ready to receive the changes that you're you're bringing, and also after uh, you go live, and they they get this new system which they've been told is going to be so great for you know supporting users and really understand the effort that you need to go to to get the return on investment that you originally wanted. It's the reinforcement of training, it's support, it's understanding how people learn in different ways. And I think that's much more interesting. It's much more interesting to me now. And I've done a certification, which is a company called ProSci, a change management methodology that they've worked on for over 20 years. And like, that, to me, just when I took that training course on ProSci, it just spoke to me. Like, "This is where where have you been all my life? And it was just so much common sense but distilled into a methodology with steps with you know at this stage in the project you should be doing this and here's some templates to help you go through that process with users and with impacted people within the organization and the next stage this is what you do and it was a structured it's a structured methodology that's built up from thousands of projects and thousands of people over the past 20 odd years so i'd entirely recommend anybody that wants to understand change management Prosize, great there are other methodologies out there mm. and their training is great and it was a really good experience for me but i really recommend any project of any significant size has an element of change management yeah you are six times more likely six times more likely to have a successful project if you use good change management than if you are doing poor change management or no change management. If you don't know what change management is, you're probably not doing it very well on on your project, and so you have a much much less of a chance of of having a successful project. Ultimately, that's what everybody wants. Everyone wants to work yep. on successful projects that everybody loves. But uh, change management is absolutely fundamental to uh, really understanding how people are impacted by what you're doing and helping them through that. And it's also something that's very much underestimated in terms of the time and therefore the budget required to get people ready for this. Yeah, partners in particular, like I say, can be very focused on just building to requirements. And actually, customers are really interested in getting the requirements and getting to the end, you know, training people. There's all this other stuff which is around getting people ready, helping them, that that's where you see the return on investment. If you're spending a million pounds or a million dollars on a project, why wouldn't you spend another 10% of that to make sure that you get the return on investment that you need? Absolutely. So yeah, I'm i a huge proponent of change management.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. That was a great conversation. Anything else that you want to
2: add? I always try, like this is a kind of principle for life, mm. right? in that any experience that you have, Good or bad, try and learn something from it. And that's the same goes for projects. You're going to work on projects that you don't like working on, and you're going to work on projects that are good and they're fun and they go well. Hopefully, (laughs) every time you work on a project, though, you can reflect back on that and and look at why was it like that? Why did those things go wrong, or why did they go right? You know, hopefully, and then try and bring those things into your future projects. Be the change you want to see. This is, I guess what I'm saying it's within everybody's power to do something that makes their life more you know, enjoyable or makes their job more enjoyable so
1: yeah absolutely absolutely thank you it's a great piece of advice so either you win or you learn right in yes. some way. Mm. If you adopt that philosophy, it's easier to kind of reflect on the bad experiences and push mm. yourself through, you know, mm. sometimes a, a bit less fun project because it happens, as you said, right? Thank you, Andrew. That was a great conversation. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, uh, yeah. I will see each other around, I hope.
2: Yeah, hopefully. Well, hopefully we'll meet up in, in real life. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. we see each other in in microsoft sometime thank you for having me and i think that one of the things about that project in particular is being able to talk about it it's not just cathartic yeah <laughs> like therapy for me but i learned a lot from it and i hope if I, if I can pass some of that on then those other people can learn from that and not have to go through some of those experiences yeah. where i had that learning so that's yeah and i think that's that's what our community is all about as well it's learning from each other thank you though. i appreciate it
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Amazing Apps podcast. You can join the show's mailing list at amazingapps.show. You'll get a personalized welcome video from yours truly and a notification when there's a new episode available. There are also shortcuts so you can follow the show on all major podcast players. And you can follow Amazing Apps show on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. You can send me a message or a voicemail if you'd like your question answered on a future episode and even support the show through Buy Me A Coffee or by buying an Amazing Apps t-shirt. Visit amazingapps.show Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate you. Until next time, take care and keep sprinting.